okay. Welcome to the first episode of the Let Me Slain podcast. My name is Kathleen Hine, and with me today is Flourish Clink. Hello. Flourish, what up? Flourish <laughs> is with us today to talk about their career change from data scientist to aspiring Episcopalian minister and how that transition is going. So I know, I know if it makes you feel better, I met someone at a tech conference and that, and I was like, Oh yeah. And this is one of our, and that developers like, I know somebody else that did that. So I have a, somebody else in Scotland that has a similar path to you. Yeah. Well, it's not all that unusual. A lot of people, um, who feel the call to priesthood don't necessarily do it right away because I think it's kind of a lot to be like 21 and be like, yeah, I'm going to be a priest. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people don't figure it out until later. Most people these days. So would you, I I mean, maybe we should start with how it is that you and I know each other to give people (laughs) some context of uh, why this was such a, you know, such an interesting transition for you. (laughs) Sure. So you and I met when I was working as a consultant for major media franchises about fan culture. So I was, um, I actually never worked on Star Trek, but the equivalent of Trekkies. Mm -hmm. uh, And, and I would work on a combination of data science stuff and also some qualitative methods. My, uh, academic background is actually in qualitative methods. And then I went to um, MIT for grad school and had to pick up a little bit of data science stuff. Uh, So uh, putting that all together and sort of doing that kind of uh, consulting about audiences. And in so doing, I ended up working really closely with social media teams because those are usually the people who are having the most frontline contact with fans and uh, also, they're a major place where I would get my data. And so you were working in social <laughs> on that end. And, um, you know, and, and of course, this stuff always, people's jobs expand to, to like fit their full competencies. So I believe that at the time that we met, I was trying desperately to corral all of the different Facebook pages for a property <laughs> and convince uh, the... Yeah, just, you know, get get everything sorted out there. <laughs> and and yep. you are my greatest ally. <laughs> I was the the keeper of the keys for all of the uh for all of the social media accounts at 20th Century Fox as it was before the <laughs> Disney merger. So unlike you, nothing that I did exists anymore and I can actually speak freely about my work. How, how lovely that Nothing I did exists anymore. We spent, what, 18 months pulling everything all together, and then Disney did what they did, which was silo everything out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they did. They did do that. <laughs> that's, that's how they roll. Like, that is just, everybody has their own walled garden over there, man. But, yeah. So, you and I were in the trenches together for almost three years. Yeah, something like that. It was a long time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, almost, you know, very shortly after that. I mean, I I shouldn't say very shortly after that. Actually, a bunch of the time that we were working together, I was already sort of exploring this career change. And then pretty shortly after uh, you left, I also got to the point where it was like, okay, got to go. <laughs> like, yeah, I think I'm good. Um, but all right. So would you tell me a little bit about, you know, you were saying how this had been rolling around in your brain for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, 
what in your life and what for you personally changed that you decided I'm going to make this shift? Well, so yeah, I mean, the idea of becoming a priest or a minister had been in my head since I was a kid on some level, but it, there were always sort of lots of reasons not to do it. Um, but by the time that I really started pursuing it, I had been working in entertainment consulting for about 10 years and I had, you know, built a business with people and basically every single thing that I had wanted to do in that space, I had accomplished. Uh, there was nowhere else that I was going to go as far as my own interests in that zone. Like mm -hmm. literally the the client I was working on with you had been my white whale client. The thing I'd always said like, oh, someday maybe I'll get to work on this. Ah, and I yeah. did. So I sort of was feeling like, where do I go from here? And it wasn't clear where that would be. I don't live in Los Angeles and I didn't really want to move there and become a studio executive, <laughs> I, which sort of would have been one possibility, I guess. I didn't. My company was doing great things, but... I was in this data space and not in a producing space, which is where like many of the other people at my company really wanted to get into producing particularly. And that wasn't going to be my yeah. like jam. And then in addition to all of those sort of like negative things that I was feeling about my work, despite having love doing it and having like, you know, basically invented my own job and, and, and done it for many years, right? Like, so I really loved it. Yeah, we both did. We both invented our jobs at that point. Right. In <laughs> but then also, um, it, it's hard to talk about it in any way that's not quite religious, which is just that I started feeling the call to priesthood more strongly. Um, and I didn't even recognize it myself. I uh, had been feeling... I had these questions about my job and what I was doing. And I actually went to my priest and talked with her about it. And I thought that I was just going because a priest is somebody who can give you life advice. right? <laughs> like, and I didn't have any idea that I was talking about becoming a priest. And at the end of our conversation, she said, Flourish, do you think you should be a priest? And it all just sort of <laughs> fell into place. And I was like, oh, Fuck. <laughs> you know? Okay, so two two things for the for the uh, new new to us listeners. One, we totally swear on this podcast. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. And uh, two, I can tell you as somebody who on it, like my background is Catholicism, and I was raised like super Catholic uh, to the point where I was an altar server from like grade five until the age of sixteen when I got confirmed. Priests totally swear. Like, don't let anybody roll you. <laughs> they do. As they somebody swear who's been in a sacristy and listen to a Catholic priest come back and bitch about a part, bitch about somebody at the church that was annoying them. Priests totally swear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it is. It is funny because uh, I'm trying to take the name of the Lord in vain, less, but that doesn't mean there's all sorts of other wonderful <laughs> things so that are still very open. <laughs> God has given us so many other words that we can use to express ourselves that don't involve taking his name in vain. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So can you talk a little, like, you know, like I said, I'm Catholic. I was, I am what George Carlin referred to as a recovering Catholic. Um, <laughs> hey man, I did see 
altogether, I did nine years in flammable polyester plaid in Catholic school. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> like it's I, I see the I see the uniforms of some of this. Nobody here has the same plaid we did, thank God. But I see the uniforms of some of the school kids here over in the UK, and I'm like, mm, don't go near flame, dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of church vestments are like that also, uh, as you well know. <laughs> or like, because because you're in Boston, the thing where like, it's cold, so you hang your garment over the heater in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then yeah. like, it's down. Danger right, will rob right? Between having a warm school uniform and accidentally having a shiny from being burnt school uniform. Oh yeah, Versus. absolutely. Well, and and with the with the vestments, you have to pick between polyester, which doesn't wrinkle. Mm-hmm. And so is great versus cotton, which wrinkles when you look at it twice. So you're always ironing it, but at least it's cool. Can and I, I really you, don't know. Can which. I send you a travel steamer for your ordination? Yes, you can. That's a great gift. <laughs> a new Everyone needs it. <laughs> but you were saying. <laughs> anyway, uh, so back to uh, us being less, spending less time just riffing on our respective religions, as fun as that is. <laughs> what discipline are you at this point? So, because because we're just right. saying we're priests, but we're not saying how or where. You're like you don't have to tell me where. Right. So, um, what discipline are you? Right. So, I am Episcopalian, which, if people don't know, is the same. It's the same denomination as the Church of England. Um, it is aka the, the Anglican Communion. So, there's Anglican churches, and they each have a different name based on the country that they're in, but they're all related to each other. And the mm-hmm. United States Episcopalian. Uh, and that is the, yes, it is the denomination that was started by Henry VIII because he wanted to get a divorce. Although we don't like that as a way to, you don't ride with that as the headliner. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, but that is the thing people usually ask me. So you might as well get ahead of it. Right. Um, but it is, (laughs) if that's the worst thing people ask you, you're doing great. Uh, but it's, it's sort of the denomination that is between Protestant and Catholic. It is a Protestant denomination, but it does like many, many things in ways that are very familiar to Catholics. So we have um, bishops and priests. There is no Pope. Um, The bishop of each area is sort of in charge of that area, Mm. Um, like, which is similar to the Orthodox. Um, We have a, apostolic succession so that so there's a big deal that like all the priests are in a direct line from the apostle the apostles blah, 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 i can speak mm-hmm. uh, which is similar to catholic and orthodox yep. and uh lutheran actually also these days um at least some parts of lutheranism um we have we do have uh female trans and non-binary priests without mm-hmm. that i couldn't be becoming one um And for me, I am not yet a priest. I am also not yet a deacon. I am what is called a candidate for the priesthood, which basically means that the, I've gone through a long process. It's been about five years up to this point. Um, And the church has, I have, you know, said that I feel the call to the priesthood and the church has kind of committed to me. Um, I'm not saying it's, impossible like certainly there's you know there's many a slip twixt tongue and lip i could maybe not be ordained but everybody thinks 
that I probably should be. And it seems very likely that I will be. Uh, and the way that will work is uh, in uh, February 2024 or March 2024, sometime in there, I will be ordained to the diaconate. And yep. then uh, in September 2024, I will be ordained to the priesthood. Aw, if I put the steamer in the mail now, it will probably get to you by then. Yeah. <laughs> you can get a cargo ship at this point. It would be fine. <laughs> okay. And then just because you, if you're comfortable talking about it, you did mention that, you know, you as a person fall outside what most people think is the normal blueprint for the priesthood. <laughs> yes. With, the first time that I met you, Flourish, like you showed up with a, like you showed up with your trademark buzz haircut wearing a bright orange Mario jumpsuit. So like, yes, this that's, is that's not right. a jacket. Yeah. Um, which by the way, those just look really freaking comfy. Uh, oh, they are. They're incredibly comfortable. And in fact, the conversation I always have with people are, are you going to find a way to get a jumpsuit that has a priest collar in it? Ooh. And I haven't figured that one out yet. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but okay. So would you like to go back to like your life, your situation, your setup? Because as you and I have discussed, that is part of, you know, we'll talk about it later, but you and I have discussed in the past, that's part of why you think your outlook and your view would have a positive impact on being in the priesthood. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I'm non-binary and I'm, you know, that's something that's more and more common uh, as a term that people identify with the younger they are these days, I'm 36. So I'm on the sort of, there, there are plenty of non-binary people who are older than I am, but right. you know, there's, there's a lot more who are younger. So um, uh, at least let me phrase people who actually use that term, right? There's lots of gender non-conforming people of all ages, but, but for using that particular term, it's, it's something that's, that's a newer term and, and not everyone who's older identifies with it. Um, right. And I have it took me a long time to sort of figure out how to talk about that part of myself and how to settle on a way to talk about it with other people. So when we were working together in the entertainment industry, I was I was very aware of the fact that I was gender nonconforming, um, but it wasn't, you know, this was a few years back. It wasn't as common to ask people to use different pronouns than they would just assume. So when I was working day by day, I didn't, like I never told you that I wanted to use they, them pronouns, I don't think, because it just wasn't something that you would be doing in that context. Or it was barely something that you would For the do. record, I wouldn't have minded. Um, I know you wouldn't have, but you know, like when you're in a, it's LA, man. Like, I, I, I hear weirder every day. Uh, but when you're, but when you're in a, you know, when you're in a like business context new, and you yeah. don't really know people very well and you're yeah. trying to make it, it was just like, that was, that was too much. I didn't really want to deal with it. Right. Yeah, I understand. Um, and so one of the things that has been interesting about the journey to the priesthood is it's actually like coincided with my realizing that I needed to be more explicit with everybody that I know about my gender and um, really sort of <laughs> uh, be an advocate on that front. Because obviously I never really loved <laughs> being called a woman, which is usually what would happen. Occasionally somebody would, uh, would misgender me as a man, uh, but mostly they would misgender me as a woman. Um, and I never really loved that, but I was totally able to live with it, but there's a bunch of people who can't live with it. Right. So, right. um, <laughs> so I realized that 
<laughs> actually, I probably should be be out there. And and one of the things that I there were sort of two elements, right? the most important one was realizing that I could not be ordained a priest under false pretenses. So I had to come out to people in the church because otherwise I would have to use the wrong pronouns in my ordination. Right. (laughs) And that was just not a tolerable situation. I couldn't do it. Let's not start by lying to God. Yeah, exactly. Or, or maybe not lying. Like God knows, like I, I'm not saying that it would be like unforgivable or something, but I just felt like if I had the opportunity, that was like my moral duty. And then right. the other piece being obviously that the Episcopal Church does gay marriages and has mm-hmm. been has been a really positive uh, force in the in the space of queer religion, but it's not perfect, right? Um, although. Uh, the church talks a lot about how it wants to be welcoming to all people, including people who are who have gender and sexuality that is different from the norm. Um, mm-hmm. Not everyone has that experience always right. within it. So I realized also that, um, and 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 sometimes not even because anybody is being a jerk intentionally, right? Like people don't know how to interact with someone who's trans if they've never met someone who's trans. So. Uh, I guess I'm doing that now. It's not It's not what I thought I would be doing when I decided that I was going to follow the call to priesthood. I really had a vision of myself just having a parish and not worrying about any of this, but it turns out. Surprise. Yeah. That okay. is what and, it is. and then for you, are you comfortable, it would go Facebook on this, are you comfortable discussing your relationship status? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm married and I have been for 10 years and that's totally, you know, this is, I, I see how this is coming from a Catholic. This is totally normal for Episcopal priests. Um, and, yeah, and for, by the way, priests of all sorts, other than Catholic, everybody else gets to get married. Oh, and, I don't think it's a good idea that they stay celibate. I think we've right, proven it's a bad idea. To right. Make them and, and number two, in the Catholic church, being celibate is a matter of church discipline, not of doctrine. So at any point, yeah. they could, in theory, change this. Right. It was from uh, the Easter Conclave. I think it was like, a, it was in the 11th century. Yeah, it was um, late. It was because they didn't want people passing down priesthood to their kid. Right. Because priesthoods were, and it, it didn't matter because there's plenty of Pope who had. Sort yeah. of <laughs> so they just stopped having sons and started having nephews. Yeah, um, exactly. Good Lord, look <laughs> at them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, it didn't really, the, the, that, that idea didn't really work. Um, <laughs> anyway, probably, yes, that's probably that's would have been totally better just normal. to make a rule against passing a priesthood down, right? That would be sensible, but uh, that's not what happened. And no. uh, anyhow, it's totally normal within the Episcopal Church, uh, to be married, and I am. <laughs> <laughs> and he's an atheist, which is interesting. I mean, it's not inter- it's it's normal for me, but a lot of times people are like, What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. So, well, just out of curiosity, like, if 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 you don't mind my asking, we can always edit this out if you want to decline. But like, how did that combo go then? <laughs> you know, that went fine. Uh, he uh, has always known that I was quite faithful, and uh, so I don't think that it was. Uh, you know, and he's always been very supportive of whatever I wanted to do. So, um, uh, fortunately, although it didn't 
becoming a priest does involve an extremely large pay cut. <laughs> you know, that, that wasn't totally thrilling, but on the other hand, like we have, we have what we need anyway. So, um, uh, and, and fortunately he's a professor and he also is sort of, um, I would say that he understands the idea of a calling right. and the idea of something that you would be doing, the idea that you're doing things vocationally and as long as you're making enough money to survive, like that's fine. Right. Uh, he, he really understands that. So uh, I don't think that it was ever a, a big question. The question was just like, well, can we make it? We can. Great. Wonderful. Let's do it. <laughs> well, that makes the, that makes the study periods a lot easier, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, I mean, I, I, I'm making this sound like a small thing, but I am incredibly grateful. There's not too many people who would be like, oh, you want to quit your six figure job and sell out your partnership in a company and uh, like not make any money for three years and pay for more grad school and then <laughs> take a job that pays basically minimum wage. <laughs> yeah. So. so from what you're saying, you're, you, this, the discussion started five years ago. Sounds like you're about three or four years in. And am I correct from, from what I understand from your Instagram, you have been getting to the part where they actually let you talk to people. <laughs> yeah. Well, in my case, they let me talk to people. You, you know, you're, you're always talking to people actually, because the process is relational. You're right. not just called by, you know, some person high up in the church, but uh, you have to first get your priest on board. And then you have to have your whole parish, the parish that you go to church in, um, mm -hmm they form a committee and agree that they want, and you meet with them for like a year and they agree that they think that you should be a priest. So that whole time you're, you're talking with people in your parish, you're expressing your views, you're, you're talking about your call and your experiences and, um, and discerning with them prayerfully, like what you want to do. Um, and during that time, actually my uh, priest let me preach a couple of times, which was, which was really great. Um, and then after you get past that, go to the diocese level, then you sort of have to stop preaching for a little while. <laughs> but then, uh, you know, you get into seminary and yeah, uh, at that point you start um, both preaching um, as regularly as you want to usually because they really want you to get lots of practice. <laughs> and also, um, as, let me rephrase, as regularly as you can talk someone into it, uh, into letting you <laughs> preach at them. Oh, you're going um, on vacation? Do you, do you, yeah, you want to exactly. Oh yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then also um, you start doing basically internships at different mm -hmm. churches. So uh, the pa this past year, I was at a church called St. Ignatius of Antioch. And this next year, I'm going to be at a church called St. Matthew and St. Timothy. And um, you, you do everything that you are allowed to do by the canons. <laughs> you, you help serve communion. You, um, Sometimes you take part in pastoral care, you plan liturgies, you you basically shadow the priests. Nice. And then when you have been fully ordained, do they just assign you a place to go? You know, is it like others where you kind of have to go recruit yourself a job? <laughs> it's definitely more of the recruit yourself a job end. So you're supposed to, quote unquote, dance with the one who brung you. So you when you finish seminary, you go back to the diocese that sent you to seminary. So I will have my first job in New York City because that's where I've been sent to seminary from. Um, and uh 
it kind of varies. You know, sometimes a bishop might have an idea for you or a place that needs you. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know for sure what I'm doing yet, but I have some leads. And, um, you know, so also if you can come to your bishop and say, hey, I want to do this thing and I've got it organized and they want to have me, then usually you get the, yeah, I go do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it it varies. And I think that the ideal, usually you you have your first job and you're sort of the junior priest at a larger congregation where there's somebody who can mentor you at least for the first two years. So there's right. sort of an extended apprenticeship there. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't always happen these days, especially in rural areas. Sometimes you just get directly put into a church. It's like, good luck. (laughs) But I think I'll be able to have the mentorship. So I'm happy about that. Awesome. And then, um, so in terms of what you're looking to do in the priesthood, and, you know, we've talked about, we've talked about your, your non-binary status and your relationship and kind of where your life is. And one of the things that I thought was interesting when you and I talked about it, just like as friends, was you speaking about how you were kind of hoping that one of the things you can do within a normal congregation, uh, it was when I asked you if you were going to be a TikTok priest and you're like, yeah, no. (laughs) Um, And I thought it was interesting that you found effectiveness for yourself working with, shall we say, older members of of the uh, parish mm-hmm. and kind of helping them understand the way that in, in some ways, the way that the world is reshaping itself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because people are always asking me because of the work that I did previously, are you going to do data science? Like, you know, the church really needs that. Are you going to be online? Are you going to be doing social media? Because you obviously know so much about it and have so much experience in it. And it's, it's you know, it's true that I have historically known a bunch about social media and have experience in it. Um, I'm not up on everything right now because, you know, everything changed basically as I left. But oh, I Uh, but what I actually found in my years of researching and understanding what was going on on social media is that there is social media can be powerful in reaching a large number of people, but the vast majority of people's experiences are actually coming from personal interactions, Mm -hmm. not mass interactions. Uh, Yes, people are on TikTok and they get all sorts of ideas and like learn all sorts of things. And I think that's really important that you have people, you know, saying good things on TikTok. (laughs) But in-person interactions are hugely formative. And furthermore, um, oftentimes social media becomes an echo chamber and you end up having people really um, repeating things that they already find positive. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're working in a in a physical space, in a congregation, in a parish, you, you're forced to deal with people as they are, yep. you know, kind of in their whole selves. And I find that really rewarding. And then also uh, churches, all churches are graying. People are older who go to church. And Mm -hmm. one of, 
they're not on social media. They're not doing these things. And that's one of the things that creates these huge gender, these huge gender gaps. I mean, they are gender gaps, but these huge generational gaps around people thinking about gender and talking about gender in these ways. Um, Because some of the ideas that have gone so quickly through social media, um, they don't make it out to people who are not terminally online. Right. You know, <laughs> and uh, and or they do, but uh, I find that there's a lot of older people who are really. It's not that they're unwelcoming; it's that they're frightened for the people that the younger people that they love. They're afraid that, you know, they know about how hard it has historically been to be queer, and they struggle because they really have a strong binary gender. Um, especially visual sense, and they associate um, being respectable with certain ways of dressing and behaving. Yep. And they don't see, or they, they struggle to see how it is possible to live a happy life that looks normal and fulfilling and all of these things, if you don't fit into those categories. And I know from experience that I can be helpful in showing people being a bridge in that way, saying, no, I'm here. I'm living a very happy life. I've been married for 10 years and uh, expect to be married for the rest of my life, to the same person. Um, in a lot of ways, I, I seem to be the, if your kid turned out like me, you wouldn't be upset. But yeah, also, say, I'm not bothering, you know? Right. <laughs> and so right. that can be okay. You can envision a future for your non-binary child. I can help people envision that future that they would want for their kid. No, that makes sense. You'd be like, the world is not ending. It's going to be okay. But exactly. And, and when I say that, and I don't want to say that I think that necessarily, like, I am what everyone should be, right? I think that there's so many other ways that people can live their lives that are wonderful um, and that don't necessarily conform to this idea of respectability and so forth. But when you're working across generations with people who who would like to see more stability and respectability and all that, it can be really helpful. Like this is a level of respectability politics that I think can be useful in building bridges, but I don't want it to suggest that I like look down on anybody who doesn't want to do all the things that I'm doing. No, that makes sense. You just, you're how you happen to be at the center of the Venn diagram. Exactly. Exactly. Might as well, might as well, uh, might as well make some use of that. (laughs) I mean, in the best way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I I feel kind of mixed about it because Uh, On the one hand, I did not envision this being something that I was going to do, but it's become more and more clear as I, as I work with people, as I get to know people, how good it is to just be able to be sometimes the first non-binary person that someone's ever had to really interact with. You see it in the media you hear about it from your kids who aren't telling you what their own gender theory is or your grandchildren more like, right? Yep. But you've never actually interacted with an adult non-binary person. And I can do that. And like, people can ask me anything, right? Like I've had so many conversations about my genitals. I don't even care anymore. 
Like, <laughs> it's fine. I'll t- I tell people, don't ever ask anyone else about this, but I will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is you are helping them think beyond the weird person that gro- that goes past them in the grocery store. Yeah. Or, because or for a yeah. lot of people, that's what it is. You know, like mm-hmm. to them, they see someone who is very clearly non-conforming to heterogenitive norms and they're just like, I don't even know, man. Right. And, exactly. You know, and they just avoid that person or, or whatever. And you're like, oh, no, 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 we're okay. We're cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that that, I think that's something that a lot of people have to work through is they are they feel anxious and worried in the presence of people who seem to be really non-conforming. And so then they're anxious and worried that everybody else will also be anxious and worried around those kinds of people. And so then what does that mean? Um, and, and we can work through that. Like you don't have to be anxious and worried. We can figure it out together and then you'll feel great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, on the note of you having a life outside of just talking about God all the time, um, and that priests do have actual personalities and interests outside of the priesthood, which I think people forget about, but that's kind of what allows priests to be relatable and to do their job. If you have someone who's <laughs> holy, like if you have somebody who's just wholly on the priesthood, man, that's that's a very limited scope of context non, when non-priests come talk to you. So on the <laughs> note, of, right? On the note of that, would you like to speak a little about your own podcast? Sure. I mean, I will I will say this, which is that uh, actually everything in the world is the proper subject for a priest because God <laughs> is with and in everything. So there is, I mean, there is no subject but the priesthood, but we'll move on. No, uh, yeah, uh, I have a podcast, which I am maintaining despite having gotten out of this area professionally. It's called Fansplaining, the podcast by, for, and about fandom. And you can find it at fansplaining.com. So uh, I do that with Elizabeth Minkle, who is incredible. She's this great journalist. And um, we talk about fan culture. And I'm still doing that <laughs> because, you know, I was a fan before I was a professional person talking about fandom. And I will continue to be a fan until the day that I die uh, because Star Trek will continue to be, you know, coming out for the rest of eternity. <laughs> I mean, bless Gene, man. He hit it. He he figured he really out what formula was and he hit that. And good he on really him. Did. Uh, to be clear, fansplaining is not a Star Trek podcast. It's a, it's a podcast right. about the the phenomenon of fan culture, and lots of different kinds of fandoms are covered. And in fact, we're usually not talking about a particular fandom. So if you're not into Star Trek, you can still listen and enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, on that note, I think we're good for today. Is there... I'm, I'm going to just end this like the project manager that I literally am in real life. Uh, is there anything that like we haven't covered that you think would be awesome for people to know about the priesthood? Uh, you know, not really. I think um, maybe uh, just that there are lots of reasons. I mean, and this is, this is just, this is my little pitch, right? Which is to say that uh, if you've, if you've ever thought about going to church or doing something, there's lots of reasons that people do that. Not all of them being that they believe in God. Um, And churches can be a space that you can get connected with people in your local community and like help other people in your local community. 
uh, and just have community uh, in an in-person physical way. Um, uh, I just want to throw that out there because I think that there are a lot of people who are really interested in forming community with other people that they live near, not just people online. Cause it feels like online is all we have these days sometimes. Yeah. Um, churches can do that. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to be all in on the belief structure to take part and to um, experience some of that. So I just I just want to throw that out there because I think, uh, you know, a lot of times I talk to my friends and they go, well, I don't know if I believe X or Y or Z. And I go, Lord, there are days when I don't know if I believe any of it. I pray <laughs> about it. And I think, you know, I, I hope I believe this. And, and it usually comes back. But that's the experience of being part of a community and uh, having a faith is an experience of of having lots of different feelings about things. So I don't really know that there was a specific point in there, but but I did want to get that out there. <laughs> so maybe it's okay to walk within 10 feet of a church. We will not automatically try to convert you. Uh, or, and you also won't burst into flames. I have never yeah. seen it happen. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should stop with, uh, we should stop with the flames. Right. Uh, <laughs> been wonderful <laughs> oh that's how to stop that's a great way to stop our first podcast you will not burst into flames <laughs> all right on that note thank you so much flourish it's been great talking to you and uh i'll go ahead and start shopping for travel steamers for you now great perfect <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone we'll talk to you soon